we'll take just just a little time to uh, talk about the Great Commission. Uh, Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Now if you notice, he does use the word commanded in Matthew 20. It is called the Great Commission. I would like to suggest to you tonight that this is indeed the Great Commandment. It is not the Great Suggestion. And some people take it like that because they feel that, well, if I want to get involved in the discipling of uh, an individual, uh, I can, but if I don't particularly care to, then uh, that's my own choice. I don't know that you have a choice in this matter. I believe that everybody needs to be involved in soul winning. Now, <clears throat> the purpose of the church is to get people saved and keep people saved. <coughs> this is the purpose of the church. And everybody should be involved in getting someone saved, and everybody shouldn't be involved in keeping someone saved. I, I believe that with all my heart. So this was not the great suggestion. It was a great commandment. And at the conclusion of our, our uh, message tonight, we're going to have you to come to the front, you that will commit yourself to discipleship. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody that comes to the front will or even should be assigned as a care partner. But you should assist somehow in keeping people saved. And that involves more than just coming to church and worshiping. But it involves the caring uh, for people. Are you ready to go, Brother Moran? All right, for this fourth and final lesson... I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to 3 John, the third general epistle of John. And we've used this as a text for the three previous lessons. And I do not choose to change it at this time. 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I really thank the Lord for the Jesus name apostolic holiness oneness message I really thank God for that there are too many people however that get involved in the truth that just simply don't make it and I think that if we had the best care program in the world there would be some people that would not make it Jesus chose twelve and one of them, Jesus said, turned out to be a devil. He did not make it. Uh, why that happens, I'm sure that you are as much aware of why it happens as I am. God gives to each one of us the power of choice. One of the greatest powers given to men is the power of choice. We have that a power that we can 
choose what, which way we want to go. The beauty of walking with God and the beauty of holiness itself is predicated upon the fact that we do it out of choice, not because that we have to do it. But in view of some people not staying with the church, if the church had the best program available, uh, we could not use as an excuse just to become very uh, broken down and lackadaisical in our approach to, to uh, discipleship. We want to give it the best shot that we can, so to speak. We want to do everything we can to keep people. There are churches that have slogans about love, uh, where love is the way of life. I've heard that slogan. I've heard uh, uh, about uh, care, the church that cares. I've heard a lot of slogans like that. The problem that I've had throughout the years in adopting one of those type slogans is that, that people change so quickly you can have a caring church. I'm in a church that really cares. And maybe six months later, you will find that the people become busy. They have not been reminded of their responsibilities and perhaps don't care nearly as much as what they did, you know, six months before. And someone could come to the church and make the accusation that these people really don't care about anyone. That's also true of love. People experience drastic changes when they're not constantly confronted with the basic issues of the scripture and there are many in there so it is nigh impossible for a preacher on a weekly basis or even a monthly basis to go before the people and bring to the people all of the needs that exist there comes a time when people must through necessity mature so that they can meet the needs of people who are coming into the household of faith. I think that's in focus. A child that comes into the household of faith, a new convert, has the basic needs of a child that is born into the natural world. The vital spiritual needs of a new babe in Christ. I want to go over these because these are so very, very important. Uh, you know, it, it is, uh, I, th I think in our culture there are some things that that uh, that are quite shocking. They, they are quite alarming. Uh, you can have a, a young teenager, this, this happens in our culture a lot, who is rebellious against parents, who cares nothing about housework, uh, who cares nothing about uh, washing dishes or making beds or ironing clothes, uh, cares nothing about getting a job or bearing responsibility as far as paying his or her own way, let's say her in this case, that same teenager can go out for one night find out uh, a little while later that she's with child. Within nine months, she has a baby, and she's thrown into the role of a parent. Uh, it's amazing how things can change and change so quickly, yet she's had no lessons, uh, no 
In other words, uh, our culture just really doesn't provide much. Uh, we live in a fairly large city, and for the most part, the responsibilities of a young person are no more than uh, taking out the trash because where you live, the, the lawn is mowed all the time, and the sidewalks are, uh, are shoveled, and you don't have to do much other than just look out the window and worry about the weather the next couple of hours to find out if you can catch a city bus uh, to go shopping. Uh, seriously, that's, that's what we're confronted with. Uh, America, uh, unlike its past when we were basically rural, is not that way anymore. It's urban. We have uh, many, many people that are, that are being born and reared in a culture in which they have little or no training. Now, it could be provided, but there's a mindset in our culture where, you know, we, we are taught, culturally speaking, to be independent. Uh, some of the values of some of the old countries where some of your parents or grandparents came from, uh, it, was a, it was a totally different ball game, so to speak. Totally different. But in America, we're taught to be independent. We're, we're taught to stand up for our own rights. We hear a lot of that. We rebel against things that we don't like. Uh, very little is ever taught in the line of money management or, or uh, providing for a family. So all of a sudden, the teenage girl is thrust in the role of parenthood, providing she doesn't go and get an abortion, which a lot of... Uh, teenagers are using as an alternative but every person that's born in the world has these spiritual or these natural needs and all I've done is just put them in a spiritual frame number one a child needs love a child needs love it is a known fact that a child before he can talk and before you can communicate verbally with the child that you admit to that child your true feelings. You can walk in and you can be a little irritable. Uh, you can just pick up the child in a certain way and look at the child a certain way. The child will respond by puckering up and crying. On the other hand, you can smile at the child. You can take the child and rock the child in your arms and perhaps never say a word. And that child is going to pick up on that. He automatically can feel your frame of mind and feel your emotions. It's not something that you have to tell him. In fact, if you've been over that child and say, I love you, I love you, I love you. I really do love you. I love you, I love you with all my heart. That child probably would not understand what you're saying unless you said it in loving tones and you use body language to admit your message. Isn't this also true in, in the spiritual world? You know, John talks to us a lot about love. We read out of John uh, 3, I mean, 3 John. This is also true in 1 John. 1 John 3, 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. So ought we to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever hath this world's good, and seeth this brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, 
let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, there is a body language. You could attend a church in which the, in one given service the word love was never mentioned, and yet you'd walk away saying, this church knows how to love. On the other hand, it's highly possible that you could attend a church where they talked about love all during the service and perhaps leave and feel as if they really didn't know how to love. They'd missed the mark altogether. Now what we have to do as mature Christians, and I know that all of you have not been in the church a, a long period of time, but as mature Christians, you who are mature, or at least you feel you're in that category, you have to practice this until it becomes an integral part of your life so that, uh, you know, that, that all of your actions prove that you do care and that you really do love. So the first need of a newborn babe in Christ is to love. And you and I are in the church today as a result of love. Not any love that a brother or sister uh, showed to us, not directly. Uh, we may have been assisted because of their love, but the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we love Him now because He first loved us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So love. The next is protection. It's a, it's a sad uh, story, uh, but you hear this quite often of some child being born into the world, placed in some kind of a container or a brown paper bag and left on a doorstep or in a dumpster someplace. Not too long ago, I read a story about a child that was placed in a dumpster. Someone went out to McDonald's to throw the trash out and someone in the middle of the night crawled over a fence that was securely locked and opened the lid to the dumpster and lowered uh, a small baby down in the dumpster. Who would do this? Uh, you know, it's, it's, beyond, um, it, it's beyond my thinking that, that someone would do that because there are people, there are couples throughout America that advertise in the paper that they do anything to, you know, to just be able to have a child. They cannot have a child, so they resort to adoption. And uh, there are many, many people that would, uh, would, would love to have a child, and yet someone would take a child, something as precious as a child, and, and just put it in a dumpster. Uh, children are not able to provide for their own. They have little or no protection. Uh, you see the wild beast. You also see the birds and the, uh, the fowls of the air and how they, they protect for their uh, little ones. They, they will just give themselves for it. Uh, we read in Deuteronomy 22nd, this, the law of separation. We talked about the dam, the, the mother bird that, that would not leave the nest and she would, she would be captured before she'd leave the nest. And and leave the eggs unprotected or the little ones unprotected. And there's a law in the Bible that says that, uh, you know, if this happens, that you, you must let that dam go. Don't, don't hold on to her. If she is that virtuous, that, that she's, uh, in other words, that, if, if, she, if she has that quality, that character in her, 
that she would protect a little one, even at the expense of losing her own life, then uh, you must let her go. And you know, the Bible also tells us that, that anyone that would let that bird go, that he would receive long days on the earth and that everything would go well with him. The same as honoring your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise. Protection. Protection. The church is a sanctuary and should be a sanctuary. Uh, we were driving back home from Shauna. We were not able to make it last night for the work night, and I certainly regretted that because I just look forward to this. And um, You know, there's, there's a little bit of a attachment. I, I happen to pick out the material that I bragged on, by the way. I picked it out from just a description in a in a catalog, so there's no picture of it. But uh, I was a little bit, uh, what should I say, a little, little hesitant to endorse the material after we got it because I looked at it, and I wasn't for sure that it would look that good. And I was highly interested in it. Well, yesterday, after uh, a good night's rest, we went to Perkins and Shano to eat, and it had been raining, freezing rain, all that morning. And before we got out of Perkins, it was snowing. It was blinding snow. And we waited, waited around about two, two and a half hours. And we called weather and checked with the people coming through. And, and uh, we just uh, uh, felt that we shouldn't try to make the, the trip because they, they closed the schools down and, and uh, several things. So we didn't. But coming home today, you saw the snow was all melting and all over around in, in, uh, in the valley area, you, you saw the geese. They were all over the fields coming out of Horicon. I, uh, I always look forward to see those geese fly north because it, it tells me something. <laughs> it's kind of a sad feeling when you see them go south and you have to wave at them. You know you can't go with them. <clears throat> but they're coming back. But they stop at Horicon, which is one of the major refuges for uh, geese in, in, in the north. I've been up there. I, at one time, they, they estimated that if you stand in a certain spot, you could see at least 300,000 geese in the air. I don't know if you've ever been up there on Highway, what is that, 49, Brother Steve? Brother Steve Ebert's from up in that area. So uh, Highway 49, we talked to a warden that came over and handed us a brochure and told us that. Some of those birds live to be 30 years of age. They are old birds for sure. <laughs> they have the ability, some of them with their wings, to break a man's leg. Uh, they are very, very vulnerable to the hunter because the hunter has 12 gauge, a 12-gauge shotgun with a 30-inch full choke barrel and steel shot, and it'll reach out a good 30 yards and bring one down. But they're protected inside of the sanctuary. And year after year after year, they, they know there's protection there. And they go to the sanctuary. They go to the place where they are protected. And the house of God should be a sanctuary where a lot of food is distributed. We'll be talking about that next. But where a whole lot of protection is there. Where brothers and sisters of like precious faith can build a real hedge of protection a wall of defense around the vulnerable new convert. 
praise God, where you can pray and seek God and hold fast. This is the reason why that uh, each each new convert coming into the house of God needs a spiritual parent, just to, someone that can pray with him and somebody can seek God with him. Oh, I thank the Lord, Brother Thomas, for our growth partner program because I feel the same way even though uh, many of us practicing this are very mature in Christ, at least we like to think we are, it's good to have someone... Uh, a mature status along beside of us, praying and seeking God. The church is a sanctuary. It's a place of protection. It's a place where people can come and, and feel secure. Praise God. I, I don't know. that I've heard people say that the one thing for sure, the devil always comes to church every service. Well, I'm sure that probably the devil is brought in here by a lot of people. Uh, because they just open their minds. He just walks in right with their, with their brains. But just as our homes offer us protection, and just as the physical building offers us protection, so should the family unit offer us protection, and so should the body of Christ offer us protection. We said of God in the Old Testament, I will go before you, and I will fight your battles for you. Now, if God goes before and God's fighting the battle, it simply means this, that before the enemy can get to me, he must first find a way around God. And some of us find little ways and means in which we can come up with schemes in order to let the devil around God to get to us. Well, we don't want to do that. We want to stand out there and say, Lord, go get him. Praise God. Praise God. Wherever you lead, I will follow. And this is something that is extremely important. So love, protection, next is food. I could have put the two together, uh, protection and food. Because it is in the sanctuary that, that food is provided. My wife is a great one to feed the birds and the squirrels. Now, I, uh, I really enjoy what she does. We had uh, fish. We had uh, tropical fish for a long time. Of course, being involved in in uh, traveling quite a bit, it was a little bit impossible for us to continue with that hobby. But it's just great to know that that you can take care of something like this. What I like about the birds is that you don't have a cage to clean out, or you know, like an aquarium, nothing like that. You know, you just so if you're not home, you know. That, that the little ones that always come, they will go some other place and they will eat. But when the snow is deep, it's hard for them to find food. And so my wife always puts the food out. I went to, the other day to sit down to the table. And in fact, I did. And my wife looked at me and said, well, there's not much food here in the house. Uh, when we travel a good bit, and we have been because of our sectional conferences, Naturally, it's, it's a, you know, you buy a lot of fruit and keep it in the house and bananas get overripe and, uh, you know, uh, apples get spots on them and, you know, that lettuce looks like a piece of rust when you pull it out of the refrigerator. So we just don't keep a lot of food there. But I went to sit down and saw a, uh, looked like a five-gallon pail right by the dining room table. 
There's a patio door right behind it. So what is that? I went over and looked, and it was a bird feed right out on the patio are the bird feeders. My wife takes that, feeds those little birds, see. Got to feed those little birds. Uh, <clears throat> the Lord said that he would watch over all of them, and I think he does use us sometimes to to stand in his stead to watch over some of them. It's just good to have them eating right there because you see them. And they'll just come in there and they eat and they eat and they eat and they eat. Now, the more you feed them, the more birds will come. And if you if you miss, like if we're gone for a week, general conference you know takes place in the fall. You don't find as many birds there because the seeds are all ripening and they will hit the fields pretty heavy. But if you keep feeding them, they'll come. But if you, we go for the general conference and run out of food, when we come back and put food out there, no birds. All of a sudden you see one. Then then next day you see two. And then all of a sudden you see a dozen. And then you see two dozen. you got more more birds there than, 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 than you can possibly feed. Birds can eat one and a half to two times their weight per day because their metabolism is so high they burn up a lot of calories. I've been trying to mount up on wings as an eagle so I can <laughs> change my metabolism and burn up a lot of calories. <clears throat> Boy, wouldn't it be nice to be able to eat everything you want to eat and not gain any weight? Oh, now, some of you can do that. Some of you can do that, but not me. I can just smell biscuits cooking and gain several pounds. <laughs> I mean, it just, there is just no way. My wife can just, she, she keeps candy bars on the nightstand and, and uh, you know, just this sugar-loaded Pepsi. Boy, she loves Pepsi. Just sugar, you know, just, she can just eat that. And I say, hon, can I have a bite? And she says, you have to watch your weight, hon. Tantalizing me. But I found this out that there they they diet food. There is no such thing as good diet food. The person that can come up with good diet food. I'm talking about something you can pig out on and stay slim. Would be fixed up for life. He'd be a millionaire. You know. You walk through the grocery store and you see this little product in a can and they tell you, say, now, you know, eat weight, eat weight, lose weight by eating. Well, that sounds good to me, so I get a whole case of it. But I found out, you know, that there are some calories in it, even if you eat a case. So my wife says, well, you're not, you're not supposed to eat a whole case. And I said, well, it says, I thought the more you ate, the more you'd lose if you lose weight by eating. Doesn't that sound right? That, that's... You know, I went by a, a loan company not long ago, and it said on there, on a sign, borrow enough money to be debt-free. <laughs> now, that's what it said. Sister Grant was with me. I said, can you believe that, that you can go in this place and borrow enough money to be totally debt-free? That's what they said. But listen, they didn't tell you that you have to pay back all that you borrowed Plus all the interest, and that's the way it is with diet food. You can't eat and lose weight. The only way you can lose weight is fasting. <clears throat> now, I said all that to say this. <clears throat> As a matter of fact of life, you cannot survive without nourishment. 
without food. You can't make it. You need spiritual food as much as you need physical food. And this is the reason why it's always an alarming thing when people start missing church. Because the word of the Lord is indeed a real delectable meal for any child of God. And when people miss church, and I know there are people who say, Oh, I can just read my Bible and, and stay home and have a good time in the Lord. I, listen, people who habitually miss church don't read their Bible and have a good time with Jesus. Now, there may be one rare find or two around, but you don't see many people that can do that. You know what happens when people don't come to church? They usually are eating substitute foods. You know, something that's not nourishing. Something that is not meant for them. You know, some of the foods that... Devil's food cake, you ever heard of that? You heard of angel's food cake? You know, there's something. You know, some people, they can eat angel's food and some people eat devil's food. Spiritually speaking, you find that the first thing that people do when they drop out of church, they just go hog wild from movies or TV or, or rock music or something. Why is that true? Because you have to feed your being, your spiritual being, on something. See? Man is made up of body, soul, and spirit. Now, you know what the body is, don't you? That's the external part that you see. Where is your soul? Where is your spirit? So we could say that man is two-thirds spiritual, one-third body. I'm, I'm talking about two parts. Now, I don't really know that, you know, that you could say, well, they're all equal parts. I don't know. It depends on how big your soul and spirit is compared to how big your body is. Uh, because I, I'm not qualified to answer that. But I'm talking about as far as parts are concerned. Two-thirds spirit and one-third physical. Why is it then we put so much emphasis just on the physical? Because all of us know this. That if we don't eat, we don't live. Shouldn't we also understand that if you don't eat spiritually, you don't live spiritually? That's exactly the way it is. And you can feed your spiritual being on a lot of corruption, a lot of poison, but you will die. So the vital need of the new baby in Christ is he needs food. He needs to be in the house of God. And you can't overstress that. You just simply cannot. We hold services every time we can possibly hold services. We've called off only a few services because of bad weather. I've always felt if one or two or three can come, we'll come and we'll seek the Lord. If the weather's real bad, we may not hold you for long, but let's get out of this what we can get out of it. And one of the first signs of backsliding is a lack of desire to, to be in the house of God. That'll happen to you. Where, well, I just don't really know. You look for excuses not to go as opposed to 
reasons to go. So we need food. Thank the Lord for the home Bible study program and thank the Lord for our Christian stewardship class where the word of the Lord is pumped in and pumped in and pumped in to the new baby in Christ. And then training. Training. On the job training. See, there's more to it than just hearing the theoretics of it. You know, in theory, this is what happened. You know what I, I think about the Bible? That, that's so, it's so neat. You know, I, you, you've heard people say, how can you take a book and prove that there's a God when there's nothing anywhere that makes reference to God except the book itself? The eighth is use that approach. And Gaylord would use that approach. Hopefully, one of these days, you'll be able to see this tape in a new convert class. Wouldn't that be great? But uh, <clears throat> you see, the neat thing about this, it's like a textbook because it is the manual of life. You know, you go through college or high school or as a matter of fact, any particular subject you want to use, want to study, and the textbook contains all the theories. Then you get into real life, and you draw on what your resource material states. So let's use Brother Rivis for an example. He's he's in an apprenticeship program, at least was or. I don't know where he is now, but there's a whole lot of studying. We've had some men studying some of the uh, the other skills, and they've been in apprenticeship programs. They they were required to go to MATC or some place one day or two days a week. You see, you, you go in, and, and this is what the professor has to say. This is what the instructor has to say. But then when he walks out and goes back to his job, Sure enough, just as true as what the book says, if he connects these two wires to these two poles and such, this is what happens. See, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say this, that there is this, this syndrome that, that, that uh, or this cycle, maybe I should say not a syndrome, but this cycle is produced. The book proves the light, but the light proves the book. And it is that same way when we look at God. You see, my life proves the book. And yet the God of the book proves my life. Because the cycle is completed. This is the manual of life. This is the reason why the, 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 the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Show us a sign. In other words, give us a sign that we may believe. He said, a wicked and an adulterous generation seek for a sign. He said, I give you no sign except the sign of Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And that was the end of the story. What's he talking about? Jesus, you see... The sign of Jonas was the sign of conversion. As Jonah was cast overboard into the water, went down into the water, the whale swallowed him. He cried out this prayer of repentance, 
three days and three nights he was in the belly of the whale. The whale then vomited him up. When he came up, he was ready to preach. He was a different man. He was a changed man. Jesus said, as Jonas was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. When Jesus Christ came forth from the heart of the earth, he stepped forth victoriously. He was not like he was when he went in. He was a changed individual. And this serves today as conclusive evidence that conversion is the greatest sign that God has ever given to the world. When you go down in the water in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you come up out of the water speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance and you walk out on the real streets of life as a new changed person. God says there is no greater evidence that there is a God than to see an alcoholic converted and become a new creature. Than to see an adulterer converted and become a new creature. Than to see a thief converted and become a new creature. And you need no more evidence than that to prove that there is a God. And training is essential because the book proves the theory. Because the theory has been worked out in individual lives. Praise God for the Bible. So, religion to a lot of people is just a matter of instruction. It's a matter of training. We go through catechism or we confirm. And what do we do? We go back out. We hit the same old bars we always hit. We hit the same old spots we always... We go, to, we go back to the same old music and everything. No, my friend, it's more than that. Why do you train a new baby? As he grows and matures, why do you train him? Because you understand that the product that he is will not be profitable in time to come. He must grow and he must mature and he must become wise and strong. And it's also true in the Lord. Now if all these needs are important, isn't it true then that the new babe needs a spiritual parent who will help provide these necessities during the early during his early Christian development. And can you say amen to that? Amen. He needs that. He needs that. Now, the big question is, are you willing then somehow to fit into this? Remember now, that's what Jesus said. Now you go and teach someone, and then you turn around and you teach somebody else to do exactly what you have been taught to do. Now, if there had been a better method than this, I believe that Jesus would have told us. But see, there is no better method than this. Jesus spent three and a half years with 12. Uh, uh, I think our problem, Brother Manley, is we get a little bit impatient. We think three and a half years with 12 people? But if there had been a better method, Jesus would have practiced it, and he would have told us. And you, if you look out across the congregation and all the people here could disciple 12 people in three and a half years. Now you think about that. We'd have a growth rate at Calvary Gospel Church unequal in Christian ranks. <laughs> Proverbs 22.6, the Bible gives us a principle and that principle is that we should train up a child in the way he should go, 
and when he is old, he will not depart. <clears throat> now that's the principle that is left behind for us when it comes to, to rearing children. So we're, we're going to talk about this just for a moment. Let's talk about the training of a child. Number one, our ultimate goal is <clears throat> maturity. Matthew 20, verse 20. If you will turn there. We want to read this for you, and we've read it in our stewardship class several times. You know, it doesn't make any difference what you're doing, you need goals. Which a goal is no more than a projection of where you're going, what you intend to accomplish. You, you need a goal. Uh, you know, if we, uh, we came into the Christian school and we decided that we want to do the work in the chairs and we said, on the chairs, and we said, well, we'll just cover as many as we can for one night. And if everybody had that attitude, I, I'm quite sure that we would not have accomplished the covering of all the chairs. But it was carefully planned. Uh, we knew how many people we needed. And we asked for volunteers and people to bring in electric staplers, which we didn't get all of them, but thank the Lord two people remembered. Uh, but we just go right down the line, see, and you got it all planned out. But uh, I've been with people that that they didn't have any particular goals. They just, well, what are you going to do tomorrow? Work on my car. Well, when you have a goal for getting, oh, just whenever I, you know, just, you know, whenever it happens, it's going to happen. Well, usually it never does happen. This is the reason why there's so many unfinished <laughs> tasks in the world today. I noticed Brother, Brother Manley came around the back. I saw a ladder sitting back there. And I, I paused to pick it up. And I said, no, I'm not going to pick it up. Brother Manley came by and picked it up, hung it on the, on the, on the there's, some, there's a couple of hooks back there. And I told him, I said, now, I wish you hadn't have done that. Why? Because, you see, you can see all that stuff back there. That ladder was over here today. I don't know. That ladder was left out, and somebody took it back there. You know, it's only one step. You can pivot on your heel and turn around and hang it up where it's supposed to be. But somebody didn't do that. And, and, and I said, well, we're going to leave it there so everybody can see it. And during service, I'm going to say, see that ladder back there? That's what visitors see when they come in here. See ladders just propped up and all this. We had the ping pong table sticking out for, for days back there. And, you know, every time I'd come up here, I said, well, I'm going to stop service dead right in its tracks while people are worshiping the Lord and say, go back there and straighten up that ping pong table and put it in its place and hide it, you know. There's a reason why we put doors on closets. Did you know that? Sure. Because, you know, you may say, you'd stop everybody from worshiping the Lord. Just but you better believe I would. Well, don't you think we ought to worship God? Oh, yes. When we learn to respect this house and keep it nice and neat, it feels so good and pure to worship God then. But with things just haphazard and hanging around and all this kind of stuff, you know, really... You know, I, I you, you may say, oh, Brother Grant, you're so picky. You're right. I really am. Really. I really am. There are certain things that, I said that to say, that certain things that make a difference. 
See, there has to be a goal in mind. And what we have to have is an ultimate goal. When we're training a new convert, we must teach that new convert to become all that Jesus Christ was or all that Jesus Christ is. Now, I use the past and the present because we look in the Scripture. That's what he is today. Look at this. This is what Jesus had to say. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they say unto him, We are able. Basically, you know, Jesus Christ was more than just a man, and he was more than just a spirit. And what happens sometimes when we receive the Holy Ghost, we as men are as human beings, we receive the Holy Spirit to us, the totality, the sum total of the Holy Spirit is that tingling feeling that makes us, you know, just feel electrified, like Jim Rivers with his finger in a light socket. See, you know, that's, that, that's, what, that's what it all is. Brother Jim, I'm glad you're here tonight. Bless your heart. You're such a great guy. But, but you follow what I'm saying, and, and, and that's, that's the sum total. I think what, you know, these people, they gather around Jesus. They, they, they worshiped at his feet. They, they, they heard him teach. And, and, and now comes the mother. Here comes the mother, and, and she says, can my two sons sit with thee and thy kingdom, one on one side of him and one on the other? And Jesus said, well, if, if they are willing to drink to the cup that I shall be baptized with or shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, uh, then electrifies us and we think, oh, but there's more to that. See, when we, when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we don't just receive a good feeling. We actually are receiving God. Everything that He is. That's and Jesus was saying, are you willing then to practice Christianity in its fullest so that all the attributes of God surface in your life? Well, I'm working on that and you are too. I'm not for sure that everything I do that, that Jesus Christ <coughs> is magnified. But I'm sure trying, I'm sure trying, and I trust that you are also. And see, we have to set that as a goal, that what Jesus Christ was, we must set as a goal to teach the new convert that he is to become that. All right. <clears throat> Another part of training, we've already gone over this to a degree, is create an appetite for God's word. Many Pentecostals, as you see, I haven't read, do not love their Bible. I will say this. I, I put this together actually about 15 years ago. The first time I taught this was in Des Moines, Iowa, at a minister's, minister's meeting. But I, I remember going one place, and I was so moved because I went to a church. I preached to about 350 people, and uh, it was a Bible study. They asked me to come and be a Bible teacher, so... 
I asked how many people have their Bibles, and all the people in the church, there must have been only at no more than a dozen people had their Bibles. Now, how are you going to have a Bible study without your Bible? I was taken back a little bit. I didn't know or didn't feel at liberty to scold the people. I just encouraged them to bring their Bibles. Before the week was over, several people were cooperating. I do thank the Lord that there has been a revival of the Bible. Uh, I never go any place and teach anymore. What, uh, we don't have almost 100% of all the people carrying their Bibles. Raise your Bible. Do that. Look at all the Bibles. Wow, look at this. Isn't this great? Create an appetite for God's Word. Now, notice what I said, create an appetite for God's Word. It's amazing. A lot of people like to create appetites to talk about God's Word. Uh, really. And I will say this when I say a lot of Pentecostals don't love, don't love their Bible. You could love your Bible and carry it around with you and not really be a student of the Bible. Because a lot of Bible-packing people today are packing their Bibles simply because it's faddish. Christians are known by the Bibles they pack. Nowadays, I'm talking about. But really, Christians should be known by the lives that they live. Jesus even said, the love that you show one toward another is conclusive evidence to the world that you are my disciples. So we need to create an appetite for God's word. People can be born into a church where there's a lot of issues and such, and they become issue-oriented. I remember in a church that I pastored a lady moving in, and she came from a church that was issue-oriented. Now, what do you mean issue-oriented? I'm talking about people that you, you, there's no way that things can be right. If, 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 if that church didn't have an issue, they'd make an issue. See? I was reading an editorial one time in the paper, and the editor said, well, <laughs> I'm going to bring this up because... We as editors are taught that every time we write, we have to address an issue. And if there is no issue, we make one. So I'm here to make an issue. Because he said uh, people get hooked on issues. You know, if you, if you taught your child to drink milk when he was young, and the first thing you fed him was night crawlers, when he gets old enough to talk, he's going to ask for a night crawler. You know that? He will. And he won't know the night, difference between night crawlers and hot dogs. Because he develops an appetite for it. Seriously. And when we talk about training up a child, that's what we're talking about. A child of God. If he's taught to feed his soul and spirit on issues, he's not going to be happy unless he's unhappy. Now, that sounds like a contradiction. But I have known of people that were not happy unless they had something to mourn about or something to gripe about. They just could not be content in the house of God where there was peace among the brethren. All right? Now, one thing we need to do is to teach the new convert that there is a vast difference between 
Christianity that's found in the Bible and so-called Christianity that's practiced by a lot of people. Now, let me explain it this way. Christianity is in no way an escape from reality. See, some people, they, they think they're going to get so spiritual that, that God's going to keep air in their tires, that they don't have to change their oil, that they can even quit their jobs and just somehow God's going to feed them, you know. Well, one man said, well, why not? God fed Elijah by the ravens. I said, well, if you want a raven to feed you, he's a vulture. How'd you like, how'd you like for a vulture to fly over with a dead rabbit? <clears throat> well, I'm not for sure what he ate, but I'm sure he didn't eat a live rabbit if he ate a rabbit. <clears throat> you see, there are times in which God miraculously comes down and diametrically opposes the process of nature. That's what a miracle is. But you don't live every lie, every day in that realm of the miraculous. You see, our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down to the strongholds of Satan. Why are they mighty? Because God has not given us the conventional human carnal weapons. He has given us spiritual weapons. And could I tell you that there's a whole lot of things about Jesus Christ, a whole lot of things that just don't fit in the miraculous, you may say. Tell us about one. Well, <clears throat> Jesus was very long-suffering. Isn't that right? Now, long-suffering simply means he suffered long with people. It's quite a revelation there. Now, when you're suffering long with people, your patience are certainly being, is certainly being tried. And if you find yourself in the area where you're required to suffer long with people, you will find out that, that, that it's, it's very real and there's nothing miraculous about it. And the reason why that your weapons are mighty, that is spiritual and not carnal, is that you do not respond with the weaponry of the carnal man. So the carnal man does what? Well, he tries to unlock the door, and the door is locked, and he breaks his key off in it, so the best thing I can do is just kick the door down. You follow what I'm saying? Or if I'm driving down the freeway, and all of a sudden I have a flat tire, I'm going to get out and just cuss this thing until it inflates. Well, you see, now that's the way... Isn't that the way that... The devil fights his, the people that are on, see, you follow him? Isn't that the way the carnal man fights? See? That's the way the carnal man fights, see? So you go out and the car won't start, you jump out and slam the door. You know, I mean, slam it and wake up neighbors for three blocks. 
they're poking their heads out and they're looking. You go over and ring the doorbell and ask the man if he's got jumper cables and he's in a hurry and he can't come, so you're real nasty about that. You follow what I'm saying? All right. Christianity does not escape from reality. You're going to have flat tires like everybody else. See? You're going to get reprimands on jobs like everybody else. Loyalty can never be proven except in adversity. And you're going to have enough situations that are adverse in your life to prove your loyalty to God, to your spouse, and to your church. All right. Christianity is not an escape from reality. Therefore, we must bathe the babe in prayer. Why do you think Jesus taught us? Why do you think Jesus taught us to pray like this? And Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why did he teach us to pray like that? Well, the simple revelation of that is because we need to. Because temptations do come. Snares are laid in our path. Situations do arise. The world has been cursed. If nobody's told you, honey, this ain't the Garden of Eden anymore. See what I'm saying? So we have to pray. We have to... Get that communication with God every day. Drill him thoroughly on how to perform his duties. Doesn't this sound like training a child? How often have you, as a father, taken your child into the work, your workshop, turned the grinder on and said, now this is the way... You sharpen the hoe. And you show him. Maybe you don't even let him do it to start with. You show him. The next time, you say, now you remember last time I did this? This is what we did. And you turn it at a certain angle. Now don't press too hard because you'll burn the metal. You can always tell when it's burned, it turns a little blue and such. You'll be taking the temper out of it. And you, you teach him how to stroke that thing across there. And, you know, it's not going to turn out real good to start with. You may, have, may even have to take it out of his hand and, and uh, do it a little bit. But how else is he going to learn? How else is he going to learn? I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, but I've been told by several people, so, Brother Grant, your boys know how to do almost everything. Now, the reason why is because I took a lot of, a lot of time teaching them. Seriously. I didn't try to do it all, but I didn't try to abandon and say, oh, well, forget it. Steve never was interested in mechanics. I said, Steve, one of these days you're going to have cars. It won't run. You need to do this. Now he says, Dad, cars don't always run. He knows all about putting on brakes and fixing mufflers and all that kind of stuff. Isn't it also true then in the house of God that the new babe in Christ needs a teacher, an instructor who will teach him thoroughly, drill him thoroughly on how to perform his duties? Worst thing you can do as a prayer partner, a growth partner, pardon me, let's back up. 
the worst thing you could do as a growth partner or care partner, I get it right after a while, is to come in late for services, don't go to the prayer room, don't come down to the altar with a new babe, don't sit by him, don't open your Bible and turn to the scriptures, and, and then, you know, you, you go back home and say, I wonder why he's not doing so good. You think about that for a moment. The truth of the matter is, if he was doing good, I would wonder why. He must be finding something in God that you're not finding. Oh, man. Isn't that right? I mean, how can you? And you know, it's also true. You know, I, I, I see these little these children around here just praying and praying, praying and praying. And Brother, Brother Thomas's girls, just real sweethearts, they're always down here praying and just really seeking God. You know, and I, I think about parents who come late and leave early, get those little precious darlings by the arms and just pull them out to the car, put them in the car, and some of these kids down here praying. And you don't even lead them down here, let alone give them the opportunity to come along on their own. Now, what's going to happen to those children? Isn't it also true that if you are a care partner, that you you need to drill him thoroughly on how to perform his duties? In other words, give him complete instructions on every step he is to take. He won't know if you don't tell him. We're talking about caring. The very last word, on that sign back this way, caring. To you it may be first because when you turn around, it's the first one you see. But caring, reaching our world through caring. So give him complete instructions on every step he is to take. Tell him how to escape the devil's snares and approaching dangers. This is so very important. Tell him how to escape it because truthfully we, we have too many Christians that really don't know. We have people that, that, that are always, I mean every day the devil gets them. Every day the devil gets them. Just really pulls them down. So boy, Brother Grant, the devil has really been after me this week. Well, as long as he doesn't get you, I guess that's all right. All what I'm saying? Tell him how to escape the devil snares and approaching danger. There's a whole lot of conversation that goes in. I'm really amazed, you know, that some people can come to the church in just a matter of weeks. They have the mindset of a Christian that's been in the church for years. And usually it's because the person they're with has that same mindset. They seem to take that on. They take that on. They just they're careful, they're conscientious, they, they look at everything, they 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 know that there's a potential of the devil being out. Now they're not afraid of the devil. They don't jump out of bed, you know, and roll underneath the bed and look out, find out where he is, you know. But they know that they have power with God. And they know that they pray and seek God and read the Bible and, 
and manifest the character of God to the best of their ability, that things are going to happen and things are going to go well. All right? Let him know how to appropriate a blessing. This is one that I could spend a whole lesson on. Let him know how to appropriate a blessing. God is extremely predictable. If you do certain things a certain way, unless beyond your knowing there is something going on in the spirit world, like what went on with Job, if you do certain things a certain way, God will respond a certain way. Isn't that right? That's right. That's right. Learn how to appropriate a blessing. This goes all the way from paying tithes to just a basic attitude. You know, I've, I've seen people develop attitudes like this. Well, she sure got what she had coming. I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. Then later on they were wondering, how come I'm not so happy all the time? Well, see, it's the mindset. It's the See, they... The Bible says that we should not glory in the calamities of any man. And, and you know, we just almost sometimes sit back and hope that bad things will happen to people simply because they, they have it coming to them. But suppose that everybody in this world got everything coming to them that they deserved, including you. You never would have been saved, would you? Blessed are the merciful... They shall obtain mercy. So we need to know how to appropriate a blessing. If we honor God, basically, Jesus gave us this formula. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now we must stamp these lessons deep into his soul and lead him to practice them until they become a part of his life and his nature. Isn't that right? Now, it's amazing. My father passed away several years ago, and I have not lived in East Texas since 1968. And it's amazing how that every now and then I catch myself responding or doing something in the very same fashion that my dad did. Isn't that something? Why? Because I spent years and years in his home, at his feet. And it's just, it's in me. And you want to know the truth? Some of the things that I dislike the most about him, I catch myself doing now. And I say, now why? That's the very thing my dad did that I didn't like. Now why am I doing it? Because that's the way I was taught. <laughs> Isn't that something? Isn't that something? See, this business of discipling and caring is a monumental responsibility. Why is it monumental? Because, you see, Jesus said this about the Sermon on the Mount. If any man will take these commandments and teach others contrary to them, How do you teach people contrary to them? 
simply by not being 100% Christian yourself. If you're not, neither will your converts be. Instill the fear of God into him. <laughs> this is something you need to talk about to new converts, truthfully. There is not much fear of God in America. There's not much fear of God in the house of God anymore. You know that? If there's anything that we are very, very short on, this is it right here. There's just not a whole lot of fear. This happened to Israel one time, and the Bible says that God sent a prophet to Israel to teach them how to fear the Lord. Now, we summarize this by saying, we train up a child in the way he shall go, and when he is old, then he will not depart. If this is the only hope that you have as a Christian in training up your children, isn't it also true that if we're training up new converts, that this is a must, an absolute must? Jesus taught us by using three basic principles. I say Jesus taught us. Jesus followed, maybe I should say, three basic principles. Number one, he taught people. In other words, he conveyed his idea to people. Number two, he had the right concept of life. He taught them by example. Number three, he taught them involvement by getting them to participate. And this is what you need to do as a spiritual parent. Number one, you need to teach them. In other words, you convey your idea to them. Number two, he taught them by example. He had the right concept. He followed through with this. And number three, he got them involved. Or they participated. We must bring this to a close, four weeks of caring. I don't know if you've been moved at all through these four simple lessons. We want to close by having you turn your Bibles and stand. Turn to Matthew 20, verse 26 and 27. Jesus said, But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever would be great among you, let him be your minister. I think I brought this out earlier. The word minister here really means let him be your servant. And whosoever would be chief among you, let him be your servant, or the word here is bond servant. So the Lord is really saying is that, what he's really saying is that, any person 
in the kingdom of God involved in leadership must serve. He must care. He must be involved in the, the care of others. I'd like you just bow your heads right now, if you would, and our praise singers will come. I want you to search your heart and just ask yourself, can, can you satisfy this question? Am I doing my dead level best to care? Just to care. To care for who? Whoever is there that needs your care. Are you concerned? Are you contributing to the welfare of others? And then I'm going to call for a recommitment to caring. I'd like for our ministers and elders, if they would just step out and come and stand at the front and face the congregation. Come on, ministers and elders. Oh, hallelujah. All of our preachers, if you'd come. Oh, thank you, God. <laughs> now, I want our people to come. Would you come and commit yourself to the care of the body of Christ? Amen. Praise God. Just come. We're not signing any cards. We're not doing anything but acknowledging to God that there is a need. And I want to be involved in this. And we want our ministers... To start praying. We want our elders to start praying. And then their wives, we'd like for them to come. Filter in and around the people here and pray too. Come on right now as our praise singers.